Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Super Retriever Series On The Line podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, David Hamilton. This is our first podcast of the 2023 year. Who better to have as our guests? Yes, I said that with S meaning plural. Then Stephen Durrance and Leo Joseph III. Now, this is the first time Stephen's been on the show since 2020. And Leo was actually our last guest in the 2022 year, but we wanted to bring them both on this year to start off the year because these guys, longtime competitors. I mean, between the two of them, we have longtime competitors, crown champion. We have board representation for the Super Retriever Series. And the two of them have also hosted a seminar last year for handlers and judges to just learn more about the sport in general. So... I mean, I couldn't think of a better pair to have here as our first guest this year. Steven, Leo, welcome to both of you for being here on the show this year. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, looking forward to hear, hear what Steven's got to say. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm looking forward to hearing what both of you have to say. Before we get started, let's pay some bills here. This uh, The Super Retriever Series Crown Championship and this uh, On The Line podcast is brought to you by Yukonuba. If you want to get the most of your dog in your training sessions, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup is built with the nutrients that dogs need to help unleash their maximum potential. That starts with providing energy that matches their efforts, supporting optimal nutrient delivery, and supporting post-exercise recovery. Check out the Yukonuba premium performance lineup and find your dog's fuel at yukonubasportingdog.com. Guys, I got through that read right there pretty impressively. I thought I was going to trip up at least twice. Speaking of impressive, uh, let's go back to last year's crown championship, 2022 crown championship. Steven, I know that you had several dogs that were kind of near the top throughout the week. Um, and then, you know, Leo, you and Gus made quite the run there in kind of series four to get yourself in the super six. And heading into that, you know, fifth series where we were going to crown a crown champion was kind of the two of y'all that were that were competing there. Um, Steven, you with Mason, you with Abby, you with Cooper, and then Leo, you with Gus. So 
Stephen, I guess I'll, I'll start the first question to you. Let's kind of start just from the beginning. You, you get there for the crown championship. You have several dogs that I'm, I'm sure you felt pretty good about. But as the, as the competition was going on, I mean, what's going through your mind that you have several dogs that at, that at least in the early series could be the crown champion? And, and how do you manage that as a handler, trying to make sure that you give each dog your best? Well, <clears throat> coming out, Coming to the crown is the culmination of not just the SRS season, but we had just got done with the Grand and the Master National. You know, everything's kind of it, it. Well, the crown was kind of the end of a long road, so it's it's a relief to get to that point, but it's also it's. It's such a heavy burden. Um, it's a team sport, and it's so often overlooked that when you say a team sport, it's not just, especially in this venue, it's not just you and the dog. It's you and the dogs. So, you know, we brought a team there to win. You win as a team and you lose as a team. So, you know, the more dogs you can carry into every series, the better your averages are. So we were – we did a really good job getting to the top six and having three of those six averages were on our side, but that doesn't, it's not like they're just going to hand you the trophy. Um, so it was a, every dog has their own spe specific idiosyncrasies. They have their own strengths and weaknesses and you have to stay with that dog in each moment. And after that, you know, as it let, let chips fall where they may give it, give it your best on every dog and, and hope it's going to work out your way in the end. And it was working out your way most of the weekend. I mean, even from the beginning, I think you and several of your dogs were, were having a good weekend. And, and, and I want to ask a, a similar question to Leo. You know, you and, and Gus, I think at one point, were kind of in 11th or 12th. And then all of a sudden surged ahead and jumped 10 spots. So what was that like for you to kind of later in the competition, enter yourselves in the running there to try to win a crown? Yeah, it, it was it was a fun ride. Um, you know, early in the week, Gus just wasn't really on his A game. Uh, he's a really consistent dog. He day in day out, he's always going to do a pretty good job. But he just wasn't giving me those those top level performances. So it was really a game of just trying to stay alive uh, and hope that at some point he's going to turn on. And I, I saw what they were throwing in the fourth series, and I thought, man, th this could really be good for Gus. And sure enough, it was. And, you know, he had the lowest score in the fourth and fifth series. Uh, so he really came on hard at the end. Turned out it was, you know, a little too late. Um, but, man, it, it was a fun ride, and he definitely gave me two great runs to end it. And before that, he, he had good runs. They just weren't quite what we needed. Um so it, he, he definitely got hot late. Let's talk about that series four. So that series four was kind of a, a field trial hunt test hybrid. They had to cover over 650 yards to retrieve three marks and one blind. Uh, Leo, you and, and Gus, as you said, uh, had a score of 14. Um, so tell us just what you were thinking kind of in that test and then, you know, heading into that fifth series. Well, looking at the fourth series, I mean, that's all I had to play for. I was sitting in 12th place, not a huge point spread, 
but still you, you've got a lot of dogs you need to jump and when you're in that position there's only one thing you can do you either kill it or you go home so i mean i didn't have a whistle i knew i couldn't handle on a mark i needed to run a really good blind and he needed to kill the marks and um man he ran a gl- great blind and just pinned the marks um really ran a strong series he had a really weak third series um he ran a three nice marks in the third but his blind was really bad uncharacteristically bad um but came out in the fourth and man we knew we had to hit it really hard and and he did hit it really hard so really put the pressure on those guys in front of us and it it worked out and Stephen, for you, I mean, you and, and the dogs there at Taylor Farms Kennels, I mean, y'all are representing kind of three of the six finalists heading into Championship Sunday. But let's talk about one in particular, Mason, on that distant mark. I mean, I know you didn't have as good of a score as, as Leo and Gus had with a 14, but still putting up a 40 there in, in Series 4 really placed y'all, kept you at the top of the leaderboard, I should say, and really placed you in a, in a good position heading into, into Series 5. So, what were your thoughts of, of that fourth series heading into to championship Sunday? Well, don't run off from Leo too quickly because there's a lot of really good points to be made. One, that's not the first time Leo and Gus have made a big jump from behind like that. And don't get me wrong, sitting in 12th place when you need to make the top six, there there's an element of I really don't want to be in this spot But at the same time, being back there frees you up to let it all hang out. You're not trying to preserve a lead. You are literally trying to swing hard in case you hit. And the other thing that if you actually watch, you know, typically your scores, you go from from highest score to lowest score. And so so a lot of times you see your better runs towards the end of the day. That didn't necessarily happen. On this day, you know, with the way that the conditions continually changed, the test did not get easier. It seemed to get even harder. So being having having a score that was not as good didn't necessarily put you at a disadvantage on this particular day. Not that I'm taking a thing away from Leo and Gus by any means, but it's the perfect storm. And it's why this is a cool game, because. If you're in 12th place and you got to make the six, that does not mean you are out because Mason has done <laughs> Mason has done his fair share of that same exact um, run. So, like I said, not to take anything at all away away from Leo and Gus. This, this is just a perfect, in my opinion, example of how neat this game is and how conditions can change and tests can get easier or harder as the day goes on. Yep, and I think it's a valid point, too, that you make that, you know, there's people that succeed and fail in both scenarios, right? There's there's situations where you're in 12th and you got to swing for the fences and try to get in second, and and I think Leo and Gus are a perfect example of that where just as equally there's some that swing for the fences and strike out, but there's also that challenge that you had of, like, protecting a lead, right? Some people would say, hey, I'd rather chase a lead, and others would say, hey, they protect one. There's advantages and disadvantages to both, and so you're sitting there with Mason – you're sitting there with Abby. You're sitting there with Cooper. How do you navigate that? I mean, it's a similar question to what I asked earlier, but now we're later in the weekend. Now we're getting closer to a crown, and, and you've got three of the six 
that are right there. So what's your mentality kind of heading into series five? Well, you got, you know, three chances to, to do really well. And, you know, it's, this is not a young dog game. And when you're trying to preserve a lead, it's a wonderful thing to have an older dog to, when you're trying to preserve, because, you know, perfect example about how tests can change Sunday Sunday was a little bit nerve-wracking for me with Mason because it was so much running. It was so much of uh, it was such a long test in general. I mean, it was it was something. I think it was one blind and four or five marks, but it was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of retrieves, and it was supposed to be the hottest day we had had all week. And Mason had the best score, so he was running last, which also means it's going to be the hottest. And so I, and I 11, was really right? trying to make sure. That's right. He would turn 11 in January, correct. And Mason has been – he won his first SRS event when he was four. He's been playing this game a long, long time. And he has had two fourth-place finishes at the crown. You know, he's he is – there's there's not much left on, left on his to-do list that – was unfinished business and when you get a dog at that age you know you're thankful for every day you're thankful for every opportunity but you know that that the next one is not promised so this very well could could have been his last realistic chance at winning the crown so it's not that i wasn't playing favorites you know if i ever get to the point that i can pick the dog that's going to win i'm probably gonna have to go find a different game to play but at you know at the same time you really cheer for a dog that's been there that much and, and, you know, would love to see him get over the top. And you're heading into that. I mean, you're heading into that series four or excuse me, series five. And you and Mason have 185 points and and Leo and Gus, y'all have 209. So Leo, I have to imagine you thought you were within striking distance there. And and to Steven's point, since we run in reverse order, you're going next to last Steven's going last. You're stepping the line thinking, okay, I got to, I got to, hit a home run here and also hope a little bit that Steven doesn't do as well because he does have a, a 20 plus kind of point lead on me. Correct. That's right. Um, I had the benefit of watching a lot of dogs run that last series. A lot of points came off of that blind. Um, you had five marks and a blind. Three of the marks were shorter hunt test marks, two field trial style marks, one being a long retired. I think that morning when most people watched Test Dog, they did not think that blind was going to be that challenging. But a lot of dogs had trouble getting into the woods, which was funny because in the first series, we couldn't keep them out of the woods. Um, Come up there to the last series, and the dogs are really having a hard time uh, pushing through to the second layer of trees where that blind was. So I've been watching that. Obviously, Steven's already run this thing twice. So he has a, not to mention, he's already won three crown championships before that. Wasn't this number four? Yes, sir. It was. So um, a lot of experience on his side. Uh, Gus is a five-year-old dog. He had a 10-year-old dog. So I I knew I was going to have to do a really good job if I was going to get past him. I felt like for Gus... The long left-hand bird, so much happened between the time they saw it and the time they went and picked it up 
that there there wasn't a whole lot. You know, he was he was going to remember that or he wasn't. I knew I had to do a good job driving on the blind, and I really had to make him focus on those short birds. I was really worried about him overrunning one of them, especially you've got the uh, hidden gun on the left-hand bird, and it's in conflict with the standout gun that's still in the field. That really worried me that he could overshoot that one, and I actually saw a couple of dogs do it. Uh, that middle bird gave people fits. It was checking down off of the blind, and I, I think a lot of dogs would kind of blow through the area and then look out there and see the pine trees and remember just having success out there. Um, and they might not make it all the way to the pines, but they would definitely take advantage of some of that open real estate. So, you know, I, I was going into it with the plan that I wanted to have a lot of momentum going on that blind. There a lot of people were really worried about the corridor. And my plan was to let him roll. The main thing I did not want to do was lose momentum and end up in a with him ping ponging right there on the wood line. So I really wanted to push into the woods. Man, he he ran a great blind. Came back and man, he just pinned the short three birds and um, you you know just had a really nice run. Unfortunately, he he did not pick up the long left hand bird. Clean, I had to handle. Um, too much memory burned, but coming into that, you know, I, I definitely was thinking that I needed to do something to at least make Stephen think: Can I handle or or can I not? And that's a good point, Leo. Stephen, you're sitting there watching him. You're in the holding blind. You're watching Leo run. As a handler, do you step up knowing that you're last dog to run? Do you, are you still on offense or are you on defense at that point? Are you going out there still doing what you've done the first four series? Or are you going up there going, let's make minimal mistakes? I know how many points I probably in my head. Obviously, Leo's Series 5 score at that point had not been announced. You've been in this game long enough to know that a rough in, roughly in your head, kind of how many mark or how many faults they'd given him. So do you go up there going, all right, I don't need to screw this up? Or do you go up there going, nope, I've been on my game plan for four series. Let's stick with it, series five, and, and keep doing what we've been doing. Well, I think there's a time, you know, I think there's a time for, for doing both scenarios. and But a lot of times the best defense is a good offense and, and vice versa. But 20 – when the different tests tell you what you have to do. And when I saw the test and what they had set out, I think if you tried to be defensive in that, if you tried to run that, that test in a, with a defensive mindset, you would probably end up with an astronomical amount of points. Um, you just, if you just like Leo was saying on the blind, if you, if you hacked a dog down too much, if you, if you had too many whistles before you got near those trees, they didn't want to get in them, you know, and it was it was very tough to finish. And if you did not, if you were not affirmative with every bird that you wanted them to pick up, if you if you got passive and and tried to leave it up to the dog, I felt like you were going to be in trouble. You know, in in reality, if you compare the runs, I think the the you know Leo had a. Uh, I would say our blinds are, and this is all going off of just recollection, 
I would say our blinds were probably very similar. Um, he probably had a cleaner retired bird. You know, if I got out of that test with only handling, picking up four marks well and only handling on one bird and we run the same blind, then, then, then nothing changes. We're just, you know, it's a stalemate. Um, where it got hairy for me was when we were shooting the hunt test marks, the middle, right? Yeah, the middle bird. I knew that Mason knew it was there, but I also knew that he didn't see it really well. So I knew that he was, I knew that he had a good idea of where it was, but I was going to have to get really involved on that possibly. So, you know, we, when I sent him for that middle hunt test mark and he got to the area and put his nose down, every dog that I had seen that got to that point and went right did not recover. And he put his nose down and was starting to move right. And I had to make a judgment call at that point and, to, and handle him and pray at that point that the judges saw it the way I saw it, that he was in the area of the fall and hunting. Because if he was not hunting in the area of the fall, then I don't get the, the, the handle in the area. If I don't get that benefit, then that's an extra 20 points plus two for the whistle, you know, that's going to be a very poignant thing. Now, uh, as that being said as well, when I'm, when I'm handling on that hunt test mark, I haven't picked up the long retired that Leo had to handle on and most dogs did have to handle on, on that bird. So I'm making this call before I have to go get the big hard bird. And so I, I chose to be proactive there and not just wait and see and ultimately that was that was the difference in our runs that that I handled there in the area I got the benefit of being in the area so my lesser long bird I had I had I had a better recovery because I, because I was in worse shape <laughs> quite frankly <laughs> um my you know if you really break those te- those that whole thing down it came to that handle in the area and being proactive enough to, for on my part, to to stop him in the area, which is a nerve wracking thing because that's 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 putting it in the judge's hands to have to to, to make that call. But I, I mean, I, I I wouldn't do it differently if I had to do it over again. And it was the right call, right? I mean, Leo, congrats to you for having the best series five score with seventy points and. Steven and Mason, y'all had 87, but at the end of the day, when you total up all five series, Steven, you end up winning 272 to 279. That's one of the closest crown championships I think we've seen in several years. I mean, only seven points there separating first and second. And so to your point, you know, you put it in the judge's hands and, and ultimately it was a it was a risk that paid off. Uh, I have a question for both of you. Steven, for you, we'll start with you. This was your fourth crown as a handler but it was Mason's first and and maybe only last round. We don't know, but to your point, you don't get a lot of chances when a dog's, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old and Mason's towards the the end of his career, if we will. So how special was it for you to, to not just get your fourth crown championship, but to get one with Mason after previous years of maybe making the crown, but, but never actually getting over that hump. Well, to, when you, when you say that this was a close crown, 
and we talk about experience and how that adds to things. I, I would remind you, you're talking to the guy that lost a crown by one point. So, yep. so I know, <laughs> I know what it's like to be on the other side of that coin. Um, I believe it was in 15 dude lost by one. So I, I totally understand both sides of the coin. Um, as for, as for Mason, I, I couldn't cheer enough. I mean, I, I vividly remember sitting down under the carport with Miss Elaine before she ever got her puppy. And we laid out the goals of what we wanted to achieve and, and, and you know, what what's going to make what, – what, what, what do we need to achieve to, in order to call this a success? And what is the perspective that we're going to view this journey on it? And, and what are our waypoints? What are our indicators? And I remember back when Mason was a young pup, and people would be talking about the heavy hitters that I had at the time. And I would, I would, I would remind them, please don't judge my program because of what these other dogs are. You need to look at dogs like Mason who literally came here, you know, day one of training and have been here ever since they, they have start to finish been here, judge my program by that. So it was a, it was a huge validation for me, you know, for these, you know, cradle to grave puppies you know it's it's such a rewarding thing to now be able to say not just we we did it with dude in georgia and now we did it with bobo you know to have dogs that have won srs's the best finish bobo ever had in the crown was third but to 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 have those you know highly accomplished dogs to breed them and then take their puppies and get to do great things with them it is such a it's such a rewarding thing and Leo, for you, Stephen brings up a good point. I mean, several times in there, and Stephen, I don't mean this as a, as a diss to you at all, but, you know, we were all sitting there for years wondering, man, Stephen and dude, always the groomsman, never the groom, right? Like always second, and then finally got over that hump. Leo, how much does this past year's crown help you and Gus? Because to your point, Gus is only five years old, and so to have that experience and to, as a team, both for you as the handler and, and Gus as the dog, to have that that runner-up experience, how much is that going to help you in years forward? Where if you're in a in a similar situation, maybe next time you are the crown champion. Yeah, we'll just have to see. Um, like Stephen said, it's it's hard to get that close, um, but I definitely think the it was a great experience. Um, I don't want to focus on too much on what we didn't do because we we had a great year. Um, and had a great crown. So I really enjoyed the ride. Obviously I want to win a crown championship, but, um, man, I, I tell you, Elaine Mitchell, I, I couldn't think of anybody better to, to get a crown championship. If I'm going to get beat by somebody, that's a, a sweetheart of a lady to, uh, to get to, to beat you. Um, obviously she's played the game a long time. She's done everything right. Um, she's not only a great client to Steven, but also just a, a great member of the dog community. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to get too carried away with we, we didn't win. Obviously, you want to win, but, man, we had a great ride and, and had a great time. And, you know, you look at that last series, and obviously Stephen handling in the area was huge, but there was one more thing that happened in that series that I think sealed the deal. When Stephen handled on that long bird, what you you probably caught him in sixty yards off of that hillside end to where you stopped him to give him the over. Would you say that's about right, Stephen? 
I would say that that was a generous number. <laughs> it could have been have more had. than that, but the next number, you gave him a left hand over, and he took it at least 60 yards. You agree with that? Yeah. Um, I, 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 he ain't given me a left over since. He used it up. That was probably the, <laughs> that was probably the last over he had. So you, you're looking at a 10-year-old dog – I think that was probably 250, 300-yard mark. So, at 300 yards, he took a 60-yard over. Now, I'm not real good at math, but if he gives you a cash refusal there, I most likely end up winning. Mm -hmm. So, you you look at it, and Steven made a tremendous decision to handle in the area. Then Mason took a 70-yard over at 300 yards, you know, Stephen did what great handlers do. Mason did what great dogs do, and they won a crown because of it. Um, man, I, I can't think of anybody else that would get that over at that distance. Or let me say this. I can't think of another dog that would give you an over at that distance. <laughs> um, did you have a spot picked out where you had seen a dog pick up on it or, or seen a dog catch wind of it or see it from there i mean did you have a strategic spot you were planning to stop him and ask him for an over or were you just kind of at that point just doing what you could well i i i had no intention of getting over there in the first place (laughs) but uh but i mean when he left he left on such a good line and he was trying to get left the whole time even though he was drifting right, I think one thing that really helped him is that because he was drifting left the whole time, he knew he wasn't where he needed to be. And he, I mean, he was drifting right, but he was trying to go left is what I'm trying to say. You could almost see him running sideways. And I felt like he knew where the bird, the direction the bird was supposed to be in. But the big thing, when you get in that situation and have to get that big cast, you had to put a dog in a position to be able to be successful. And so many people were calling a dog to a point where there's that one great big tree out in the middle of the fairway, the middle of the field, whatever you call it. And they would call the dog in level with the tree and then try to get an overcast to the other side of the tree, literally through the tree. And, and that was just, that was not the place to get that cast. So you either got to be, in front of the tree or behind it and behind it was a very, very dangerous gamble. But with all the indications that Mason gave me, it was, it it, it was clean because I got it. Had I not, you're a hundred percent right. You know, that was, that was my one chance to get it. He gave it and that that's what saved us because, you know, had we been running six series, I don't know if I, if I had enough dog for another one, I don't know. I'm glad we don't have to find that one out, but you know that you're hundred percent right. I mean, it came down to that cast and how much more difficult would that have been if I truly knew that this was the one cast I had, you know, that's where numbers can be not knowing that final score. It can go both ways. You know, ignorance can be bliss in that case. Cause if I'm sitting there watching that, that uh, scoreboard change and I'm going, Oh my gosh, this is the one chance I got. How much harder would that be? I don't think you'd have looked over there. (laughs) 
but it was i mean it was a great thing it it, it was wonderful for a competition because that's the way you want to you you want it to be runaways are runaways are comfortable they're they're i don't i don't mean i don't say easy in the way that it's not easy to get that far ahead but one runaways are are you can be a lot more defensive but in this case it was two two really good dogs trading blows and neither one of them really lost i mean in all honesty you're absolutely right both of them had a great year i mean and 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 in that point I love sitting here just listening to the two of y'all talk about why you made the decision that you made. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think that's a, a great point that nobody really lost. It was just uh, tremendous performances by, by two dogs and two handlers. And that, it kind of actually gives me the natural segue here to transition to what I want to talk about next is your seminar that y'all are doing together. Right. So Leo, you right there asked Steven a question. Why did he do that? And Steven elaborated very eloquently of why he made the decision that he made right there. So I imagine this is the type of stuff, the type of knowledge that y'all share with people that attend your seminar. I know you had one recently and it was a tremendous success and you want to continue to do them in the future. So this question is open to whomever wants to answer it, but what was kind of the the purpose behind the idea of hey let's let's have a seminar to talk handlers or or maybe people just getting into the game or maybe even even experienced handlers through it of what they should be doing at the line what they should anticipate what they should look from from the judges what what signals they should look for from their dogs in the field of of what decisions they should make when they're when they're standing there on the line with the whistle in their mouth trying to figure out what they need to do and what they don't need to do Leo, I'm chewing my pizza. Go ahead. <laughs> well, the reason for the seminar was exactly what you said, just to try to educate people on the rule book. Uh, it really wasn't a, an advanced handling seminar. It, it was an SRS rules and, and regulations seminar. We wanted to take the rule book and, and try to explain it in as much detail as we could and try to give the people that attended the seminar a really good working knowledge of the rule book. Um, we would hope that people that attended the seminar would make future judges, uh, future marshals, and definitely have a, a better understanding the next time they went to run an SRS event. Any game that you play, your ability, uh, you know, your knowledge of how the game works and and, and your knowledge of the rules uh, you know, they're going to have a strong effect on on how you play the game and how well you play the game. You never know. Maybe you'll win a crown championship because you understand how the handle in the area works. Um, so that that was the point of the seminar, something we've been discussing for a long time. Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot during the board meetings is that you know, it's really hard to educate people on the rule book. We wish we had some judges seminars and or a, even a, a test we could give to judges. So Stephen and I kind of took it on ourselves to uh, put together a seminar and hopefully get the ball rolling and we'll do some more in the future. The first one was a, a huge success. We taught everybody the rule book, um, had a classroom session on Friday night. Then Saturday and Sunday, we set up some SRS tests, and uh, he and I judged and judged out loud. 
and then we let some of the uh, people there judge, and we ask them what they thought, and we broke down each run. So it was a it was a really good time, and I think that everybody that was there walked away with a, a better working knowledge of the rules. Awesome, yeah, absolutely. Hope that we have more of those seminars in the future. I've heard nothing but great things about it. While Stephen continues to eat his pizza, speaking of food, we'll uh, we'll read the next one here from Yukonuba that I need to get in because they're a great sponsor of this podcast. If you want to get everything your dog's got, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. We are chatting with Leo Joseph III and Stephen Durrance, two longtime competitors here in the Super Retriever Series. And guys, I look at the slate for this year, 2023, and it seems like we've got more events than we've ever had in any previous year. So got to be excited to see that the sport is growing and that there's more and more club events and more and more events where people can qualify for the crown. Again, this question open to whichever one of you wants to answer it, but just since you've joined the crown or or excuse me, the super retriever series as a competitor, um, how have you seen the sport grow and where, and where do you think it's headed in the future? Uh, One of the cool things about SRS is that, you know, it's not every test is an SRS test. And we're trying to glean from every other organization and take the best parts of all the different games and highlight them and bring them to to bear in in our sport. So it's it's a really it's a really difficult game. It's a very humbling game, but it's also it also has relatability to anyone else who plays any of the other games. You know, they can all look at SRS and see parts that are very familiar to them. It is very, it's a very unique person that can look at SRS and look at all the parts and say, I can relate to all of them. So it's a neat game. It's got a great platform and the ability to continue to grow. And every year we've been trying to tweak it to make it a little bit better and to make sure that the scoring and the, and the format of the scoring system does everything possible to reward good dog work. So I'm, I'm excited about the future. I mean, we're obviously experiencing, you know, gigantic growth. It seems like we benefited greatly from the COVID era when Everything else shut down. We were able to keep running, and that was a that was a blessing. So I hope that that we can that we can capitalize on the momentum and keep things headed in the right direction, and keep the quality and the and and keep the SRS element alive in it. Yep, Stephen. Since you answered that one, Leo, next one's for you. And and as a board member, I guess I'll ask you. What changes do we see to the rule book in the 2023 season that, you know, anybody listening to this podcast needs to be aware of in terms of, you know, maybe some rules we've changed this season? The biggest rule change I can think of is we had a rule where there was a 20-point penalty for returning to the area of an old fall, and that's actually a rule that the judges can evaluate during each test or at the beginning of each test. And if they think that they need more or less on that penalty, they can adjust it. But if they don't announce anything, it's 20. And we added switching areas of the fall to that. 
so now switching is a 20 point penalty unless the judges specify in the handlers meeting. And that goes into effect immediately with the, with the 2023 events, correct? That's right. All right. Well, this podcast is not about me. It's about y'all. I'm simply the facilitator that asks questions. So any topic I haven't brought up that either of you want to talk about, what's up for either, either of you, anything you want to top of mind, want to talk about here? Well, I'm glad there's more tests because I ain't got to see Leo every weekend. <laughs> no, we're good buddies. And I, I, one of the cool things about the, the expansion of the tests, and now we're starting to have multiple events on the same weekend. You know, it's giving more and more people the, the chance to come in. And, and not I'm not saying dodge people, but, you know, it's not – every test is not filling up with their traditional SRS heavy hitters you know, I think one of the cool things about SRS, one of the greatest things and also one of the most difficult things when it comes to our growth is how so many people think that these dogs are invincible or untouchable and they're scared to show up and run their dog because they're afraid that, oh, if my dog blows up, I'm going to look bad. When when in reality, if your dog blows up, you're not in the minority. You're, most often you're in the majority. You know, SRS has a fantastic way of making real good dogs look real average. So it's a <laughs> it's a neat game to play. But when you're having, you know, with our growth and with our multiple events on the weekend, it's going to give maybe some folks that are scared of the heavy-hitting pros as well as the heavy-hitting amateurs a chance to go run in, in maybe a less intimidating environment. Um, and then they, they'll find out that the real, the real thing to be scared of here is not the, not another dog and not another handler. It's actually the, the complexity of the test themselves. Very well worded. Steven, uh, question for you. And then Leo, after Steven's response, same question for you. What can we expect of you and your teams this year? Any dogs we should keep an eye on any big events where we'll probably see you heading into the crown? Just what's 2023 look like for you from a super retriever series standpoint in terms of. How many events you plan to be at? How many dogs you can plan to compete with? And, and any main, you know, competitors that we should keep an eye on? All I want to do is carry the momentum that I had in 2022. You know, we we showed up for the crown hot as donut grease. And, <laughs> I mean, and that was just because we were coming off of so many different events and the dogs were peaking, not falling off. So, I doubt I can start as hot as I, as I ended, you know, but – but I, I am so tickled with my whole group of dogs. They're all just growing up so well. I've got some really young ones, and I've got some mature, <laughs> some mature ones too. I mean, Mason's, Mason's um, is my elder statesman, but, you know, Abby's, Abby's if she's not nine, she's going to turn it soon. Um, and I've got, I've got a, you know, a whole lineup of, of really, really amazing animals that I'm so proud to stand beside. So. I hope I get to do as much observing as everybody else. I I just hope I'm a little bit closer to the dog when it does it. <laughs> and Leo, what's this year look like for you, man? Man, we've got some exciting things happening. Um, obviously, I've got the same lineup as last year. Got a, got a few new dogs mixed in there. Um, got some dogs coming up, and then some dogs with uh, hadn't been seen yet. So hopefully, they'll break out and and have good years. Um, 
a couple of my amateurs have new dogs are going to be running. Obviously, Stuart Williams runs with me. Um, you know, he had to retire Stormy after this crown, and he's really excited. He's got a new dog, and man, he's ready to hit the road. Jared Moffat runs with me. Um, last year, Jared was really busy at Honey Break. They did a lot of projects, and I, I was the benefactor of that because I, I got to run Moon more. And she came out with two wins last year. Uh, this year, Jared is is already already saying he's going to run more, which I love having him on the road with me. So that'll be a good time. Then we've got Mark Carter, who has Rip and Padre. And, man, they're ready to hit the road. And I've got a few more AMs that are interested in running. They just hadn't, hadn't stepped off that deep end. But I, I think that's one thing that's different with Stephen and I. It's not just about us. We both have very active client bases that run SRS. And I, I think I can say that we both encourage our clients to run their own dogs. Although I've always said that I'd love to see Elaine Mitchell run a crown. Uh, but it hadn't happened yet. But uh, I think that's a great point. We, yeah, absolutely. Didn't mean to interrupt you we, there. But, yeah, absolutely love that the two of y'all encourage your clients to run their dogs whenever possible. Yeah. What, what about you got any new amateurs breaking out this year, Stephen? Oh, I I always have some chomping at the bit and I have them at all age ranges as well. I'm I'm bumping up. I got some in their 80s and some in their early 20s. So it's, you know, my 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 um my Boykin girls that have done so well at the SRSU, their their schedules are about to start opening up more. Um they're Brian's getting close to – I think she's getting close to graduating college, but I think she's going to go into grad school. Um, I I am very, very tickled with, with, with my owners. Um, that's what made the, the SRS seminar so easy for me because it was nothing more than a, than a, a, a natural outgrowth. I do this with my clients every year. Matter of fact, we're doing it this coming weekend. We call it the Muddy Road Retriever Classic, and it's a just like the seminar that Leo and I did. I'm, I'm scoring out loud, and I'm critiquing handlers. I'm not necessarily helping them while they run, but we talk about every run and, and break it down, and that's why I feel like that's been a huge contributing factor to why my my client base has, has been so so successful with SRS because they understand the game that we're playing. I think that's the best way if we can ever end this podcast, right? Two of you, great competitors, great stewards for the game, and great educators for your client bases to let them get better at it as well. I can't thank you both enough. Stephen Durrance, Leo Joseph III, thank you both for being here on the podcast. Hope you both have a better season than I had on this podcast because earlier I called it On the Line, and the name of the podcast is Behind the Line. So you've been listening to the Behind the Line podcast here with the Super Retriever Series. I'm your host, David Hamilton. Two great guests today. We thank you for listening, and we'll check you next episode. Thanks, everybody. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.